This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. And we're a soccer family. That's the one sport that we practice and play in our house. And Lucas, my eldest, and I were getting ready to leave his practice, and I noticed something that I hadn't seen before. Lucas is in an under-16 age bracket, so they're all pretty much 15-year-olds, which means some of them are in the process of driving and some of them are not, which means there was a bit of bantering between teammates and who was being allowed to drive home and who wasn't old enough yet as they were kind of mocking each other through windshields, as mom's driving you home, huh? I'm driving myself. Uh, And my son, of course, is at that age where he is now driving, so he was participating in some of the bantering. But you know, in the state of Ohio, there's a preparation process. We don't just say to a 16-year-old, here you go, have fun, go at it. No, we know that they need to be prepared. They need to go through a season of testing, and practice. They need to sit under the tutelage of parents and drivers and instructors. They need to be able to clear certain hurdles. The knowledge base, not with the car. <laughs> they need to be prepared. Before their kingdom is allowed to grow, before their freedom can expand a little bit, before they have more responsibility, because we all know Those of us who drive, it can go bad quickly, can't it? Bad things can happen quickly. And so there's preparation. We understand preparation, and we should learn to respect the process of preparation. When I do premarital counseling, it's a season of preparation. It's an appointed time to get us ready for another time. We sit down, we talk about differences in personalities and differences in life experiences. And what was your family like? What was your family like? What was Easter like? What was Christmas like? Who has a budget? Do you know what a budget is? How are we going to spend our money? What are you going to, a preparing season to get them ready for marriage so they can thrive. Some of you are in career fields that have an apprenticeship. Whether that's going to school or sitting underneath a a tradesman. Where you are prepared for your field. We don't just give someone a settling towards a, hey, go at it. Have fun. See what you can do. Build, build, build great. Just have awesome. Just just go it. Here you go. No, we say, no, 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 no. This is how you do this. This is how you do this. This is how you just let me watch you do this. Let me watch you do this. Let me watch you do that. A season of preparation. We should respect and understand preparation in appointed time to get us ready for another period of time. God is a big believer in preparation. Let your mind just kind of surf over the big narratives of scripture and you think of stories like Joseph and Daniel and Esther, Moses, where God used extended periods of time, of preparation, appointed moments to get them ready for something else. Maybe if you have enough self-reflection, you know that about yourself. Oh, looking back, I can see how God was doing this to get me ready 
for that. In the scriptures, God calls that wilderness. He leads people into wilderness to make them ready. And I want to be ready. I mean, don't you want to be ready? I mean, God has things. I know this. God has things for me and the ministry for me and, and opportunities for me. And I want to be available. I, I, want to, I want to be ready for those things. My dad always said, there's no such thing as a pop quiz in good education. Because a student should always be preparing. So does the you walk in and the teacher says, hey, take out a piece of paper. You're not surprised. You're ready to go. I want to be ready. There's a passage in 2 Timothy that has both haunted me and encouraged me and served as a little bit of a driving force in difficult times. It says this. I just want to read it for you. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, Useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. It's describing maybe your household a little bit. You have different types of vessels. That's the bucket that we use to carry out the slop for the pigs. That's the glass that I drink coffee from. You don't get them backwards. You don't get them mixed up, right? Right? This vessel is for higher use. This vessel is for lower use. If something wants to be used for higher use, it has to be cleansed and washed and scoured and made ready. This week I had a son who took on an internet challenge and he thought it was a good idea to swallow a spoonful of cinnamon. You can guess which one it was. It wasn't that one. He was laughing the whole time. I found out about it after the fact. As a result of taking a spoonful of cinnamon into his mouth, his body then proceeded to unload everything and cleanse itself of the spice. All over counter and sink. Now, in our household, everybody has responsibilities, chores, tasks. It was my responsibility that evening to wash the dishes in said sink where the cinnamon had been emptied. I said to my son, you are cleaning that. You are preparing that. You are getting, I am not, my hands are not touching that. You get that ready. You get that ready. There are times in my life I've come before God. God, I want, I want, to, I want this and I want to do that. And I want to be as well. And you're going to need to make yourself ready. You're going to need to make yourself ready. Paul, there's some things we need to work on. There's some things that we need to talk about. There's some things that we need to open up. Welcome to the wilderness. Jesus went into the wilderness. If you've been doing uh, the Matthew reading, which we started on Wednesday, you've gone through the, this passage twice in Matthew chapter 4. The, Jesus goes out into the wilderness to be tempted. But before we open this up, before we get into wilderness, we actually need another passage to help us understand it. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Because Jesus' wilderness journey is based on Deuteronomy 8. 
in Israel's wilderness journey. To misunderstand wilderness in its seasons is to miss the promises of God. It's a 23-day walk from Egypt to Israel. Because Israel did not understand wilderness, it took them 40 years. What could have been 23 days, because they misunderstood wilderness, took them 40 years. Maybe you've experienced that. You got stuck. Or know someone who got stuck in a season of life because they would not learn or discern wilderness. A difficult time, full of emotions, full of questions that can lead to anger, that can lead to mistakes. A wise person said, getting Israel out of Egypt, that was the easy part. It was getting Egypt out of Israel that took so long. Enter the wilderness. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, please. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And you have Bibles in front of you. You brought Bibles. We're a huge fan of that. Uh, to our guests here at House on the Rock, there are little blue books in the seats in front of you if you want to follow along. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I'm going to work through this. And it's going to give us a framework for understanding wilderness. Because we're in a season as a church where we want to be prepared and made ready for Easter weekend. We want our heart made ready. And that's what wilderness is all about. Deuteronomy literally means the second law, the second giving of the law. And this is Moses' review before Israel will enter into the land of promise. He goes back over all their years of experience. Hey, let's have a little recap. Remember these commandments. Remember these promises. Remember when this happened. Remember when that happened. Five sermons to get them ready for the season that they're about to walk into. So let me just read Deuteronomy chapter 8. Verses 1 and 2. Let's start to understand wilderness. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commands or not. In your notes, let's write something down together. The wilderness is how God reveals our hearts. The wilderness is how God reveals our hearts. It's the pressure. It's the season of the squeeze that brings the inside out. It doesn't change you. It reveals you. Has, has this ever been said in your house? Well, he made me mad. She made me mad. No, no. You are a mad person. Your heart is full of anger. Your heart is full of those words. The pressure merely brought that to the surface. It was already, she didn't do it, he didn't do it. The pressure merely manifest what was already inside of you. Not them. 
not them. As much as I love watching my sons play soccer, I equally love watching the parents on the sidelines watching their kids play soccer. Because nothing, especially for someone who's a student of the human condition, nothing reveals a human being like losing. Nothing lets those things boil to the surface like losing anything. And the words that are said and the actions that are taken, the ref didn't make you mad. You have anger in your heart. Those words are a part of you. That language is a part of you. It merely brought those things to the surface. Wilderness is how God reveals to us our hearts. Whether or not we will actually trust God through the seasons of life. These are the things you want to know. You want to know your heart. The desert fathers, these are the two, three hundred years after the resurrection of Jesus, would leave the city behind and enter into the desert for the sole purpose of heart work, of having the heart cleansed and refined and tested and opened up. Because purity of heart is the Christian life. He goes, Moses goes on in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3 says, And he humbled you and let you hunger. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Another aspect of the wilderness. The wilderness is where God leads and leaves his children, dot, dot, dot. We'll get to the dot, dot, dot part. But an aspect of wilderness, that's where God leads and leaves us for a season. Write that down. He says he humbled you. He let you hunger. He left you needing. There's a dryness, a spiritual dryness that's associated with wilderness. This is not mountaintop Eden promise experiences where everything's great. This is dry, desert, mundane spirituality. This is where there's a distancing between you and God. It feels like your prayers just don't go anywhere. They don't go beyond the living room. They don't go beyond the bedroom. Nothing seems to happen. There's just this distancing where God leaves us hungry. It calls for discipline. The manna that he talks about every single day. The Jew had to go out and collect this what's it bread off the ground. Every day. Mundane, repeated, day after day after day. Because that's wilderness life. There's routine to it. It demands routine. Because the wilderness isn't a place you stay. The wilderness is a place that you get through. You don't want to hang out in wilderness. So it's the drudgery of, I daily read, I daily pray, I daily do my disciplines because that's what I do. It's a place of dependence. So that you might know that man lives on the words of God. So for my Baptists, it's dry, it's distance, it's discipline, it's dependence. It's a four Ds, okay? I want credit from all my Baptist brothers and sisters, okay? This is why we do creed. This is why I took two months to teach us creed. 
Some of you grew up with Creed. You could, doesn't matter, it's Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Roman, you name it, you could crank out the Creed. Some of you have no idea what Creed is. But the ability to articulate the relationship, the theology, the groundwork that sustains us. For I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Yeah, sometimes I get all excited when I say it. And sometimes I just kind of say it. Because sometimes I'm in the desert and it calls for discipline in the midst of dryness. The dependence that God is the source of my life. That's why my sons say it every morning. That's why my sons pray the Lord's Prayer every morning. We're not feeling it. Don't care. Don't care. Well, I wasn't feeling it. Don't care. Sometimes you're not going to feel it. We don't do it for a feeling. We do because that's what we live on. It's bread for the soul. Dot, dot, dot. He leaves us with promises and commandments. The wilderness is where God leads and leaves his children with promises and commandments. That to have God's word is to have his presence, right? If there's a healthy relationship between a child and a parent, then the commandment and the promise is all that's needed. The, the parent doesn't need to be in the room, right? The, parent, the child knows what's expected and the child doesn't. I was officiating a funeral yesterday morning and before I left, Aiden and I just sat down real quick and said, hey, Aiden, some things that need taken care of this morning. We're going from winter into spring, so let's get the winter decorations box up. Can you go up into the attic, bring stuff down? You and Jackson, can you this and this and this? And then tonight, when we watch a movie, we'll hang out and have a good time. Promises and commandments. Promises, this is what will happen in the future. Commandments, this is what needs to be done in the present. That enables the promises in the future. God, though he's not tactfully, tactilely oh, in my space, his words and his commandments are, which might as well be the same thing. He has promised me this. He has commanded that. He goes on in verse 4. Let me read some more of the passages and see if you can pull out promise and commandments. Verse four, your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Knowing then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. You shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. 
For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, and land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you'll lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full. Shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. See the promises and the commands. The promises and the commands. He goes on in verse 15. Who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no ground. It was believed that the wilderness, the desert, is where demons dwelled, where destruction lie. You didn't want to hang out in the wilderness. You want to hang out in the desert. Evil spirits were out there. And we can say this about wilderness. Write this down in your notes. The wilderness is where evil tempts what God tests. The wilderness is where evil tempts what God tests. In a little bit, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, where it says the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Here in Deuteronomy 8, where it talks about God testing, and in Matthew chapter 4, where it talks about Satan tempting, it's the same word. It's the same word. And it can be fun to sit down and, and kind of go through the theological hoops of, well, does God tempt? No, God doesn't tempt, but he tests. But it's, it kind of feels like tempting at times. No, he has, sometimes it's tempting and sometimes it's testing. In the midst of temptation, there's a test from God. In the midst of a test from God, there's going to be temptations from evil. But be sure in the wilderness, evil will tempt you when God is testing you. Think about it this way. And maybe this illustration will help. A blacksmith wants to shape the metal into something that's beautiful, beautiful, an artifact of beauty, something that's helpful, it's useful, has shape and design. But to do that, what does the smith have to do to the metal? Get it really, really hot. Hold it to the flames. So much so that it begins to glow. Then and only then can he shape it to his will. But let's just say that you wanted to mar that metal. You wanted to damage that metal. When would be the best time to do that? When the smithy has it nice and hot, right? If you wanted to put some chinks in the armor, the best time is when that armor is being made. In the wilderness is where evil draws close. 
evil makes itself known. Bringing increased temptations, increased seductions, distractions, offers of shortcuts, lies, and new, maybe old, idols. Tempting what God is testing. Maybe you've felt that. It's hard enough that God has kind of given us space in our walk. Then all of a sudden that shows up or that shows up or that shows up. Evil tempting what God is testing. Fourth quality of wilderness. The wilderness is how God confirms our relationship. The wilderness is how God confirms our relationship. Said earlier in chapter 8, verse 5, as you're writing that down. Know in your hearts that a man disciplines his son in the same way the Lord your God disciplines you. Verse 16, he's bringing you all this for your good. It's a fatherly thing. It's a sonship. It's a, it's a parenting. God the Father doing good for you. Ten times, just in this one short chapter. It's not a long chapter. Ten times. The author uses the phrase, the Lord, your God, specifically. Ten times. The Lord, that's the covenant name for God. The name that God gave to Moses on the mountain. The Lord, I am that I am. The name that we share in relationship. The Lord, our God. This is the God who has brought you out of Egypt. Ten times. Ten plagues. Ten times God delivering and moving Israel out. Wednesday night, when we had the beginning of our Lent season, wonderful gathering. Many of you were here. It was, it was special. People making decisions to enter into the wilderness, marking their cross, being immersed in the season. One of the passages that we read was from the Song of Songs, where it says in chapter 8, Who is that I see coming out of the wilderness, leaning on their beloved? That's what the wilderness does where we learn to lean on God and experience the fruit of his grace and his love. Those four aspects of wilderness, revealing our heart, where he leads and leaves us with his promises and commands. Evil is tempting us, what God is testing, how God confirms that relationship. Now we want to go to Matthew 4, and we're going to go back up through those ideas so that you can see how they play out in Matthew 4 and how when Jesus was led into the wilderness so that we too can walk through the wilderness in such a way consistent with the gospel. So turn to Matthew chapter 4, and, and Carmen will have some of the verses up on the screen for you. But what's the first thing that we said? Well, I mean, the most recent thing that we said, where the, the worst is how we confirm that relation, where God confirms our identity and who we are and who he is. Matthew chapter four, the temptation is all about identity work. And in our culture, identity is big. It's huge now, right? It's massive. I want you to identify me based on what I'm sexually attracted to. I want you to identify me based on the color of my skin. I want you to identify me based on who I vote for. I want you to identify me based on whatever, none of which consistent with how the scripture cares that you identify. What does God care about? That you know that I'm father and that you're my child. That's what 
the identity is. Being built into this moment. Look in Matthew, there's a verse up, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Okay, Jesus goes to the water, he's being baptized, the spirit comes down, rests on top of Jesus, and this is what the father says. This is my beloved son with whom I'm pleased. This is my son. For I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, God's only son. Something precious about this relationship. Okay. Then immediately, evil calls that relationship into question. Think about it again. Use, use the blacksmith illustration to help us. If I want to stamp my brand on that artifact, stamp my, my brand and whatever it was I made, when's the best time to put my mark on it? If I want something so pressed into the essence of that metal, when's the best time to do it? When it's hot, right? When it's hot. But if I want to mar that stamp, if I want to damage that imprint, when's the best time to do it? When it's hot. What do we say? Evil tempts what God tests. Matthew chapter four, verse one, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. While fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, he's gonna say it twice. The father declares, you're my son. Evil says, well, if you're the son, then do this. We're going to look at these, these three temptations. Not that these are the only temptations that evil brings, but I tell you what, these are three pretty solid ones. If you could learn to identify these and be anchored in these, you have some good tools in your toolbox. The first thing that evil tempts Jesus with is in the issue of provision. Provision. If you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Make your own heavenly manna. I can see that you're hungry. God led you out here. For 40 days, you didn't have anything to eat. What kind of father is that? But you're the son. If you're the son, why not just make your own heavenly manna? You don't need to be hungry. It's a question of provision. Do I trust God or do I take matters into my own hands? Do I trust God to do things God's way or do I choose to take things into my own hands? It could look something like this. Husband. Well, my wife ain't doing what a wife's supposed to be doing. So what's a little pornography at night? It's her fault anyways. Do you trust God in the marriage relationship? Do you honor the marriage relationship? Do you trust God to do what needs to be done in the marriage? Or do you take matters into your own hands? Or maybe it's a wife. Well, my husband's not doing what a husband should be doing. He didn't tell me I'm pretty. He doesn't love on me. He doesn't nurture me. He's not doing those things. And that guy at work, he's nice to me. So I have a work husband. That's a new term. I didn't even know that was a term. I learned that this week. Did you know that? I never heard of that before. A work husband. I'm like, what's a work husband? Yeah, I was in a core team meeting. and like, dude, you know what a work husband is? like, no, why would I know what a work husband is? Can you have a work wife? Oh, yeah, you can have a work wife. What is it? Well, that's where you know, like there's a little bit of flirting on the side, a little bit of looks, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and you know, it kind of, you know, you just kind of play with it a little bit. 
Oh, we call that, we call that adultery. <laughs> that not a work husband. That's wrong. Well, he's not doing what he should be doing. Or maybe the finances have gotten tight. Well, pastor, we're just not going to tithe for a while. We're not going to give for a while because money's a little tight right now. Oh, okay. You let me know how that goes. Trusting in God's provision or not trusting in God's provision. And, and notice, just in the beginning of this chapter, all those markers from Deuteronomy chapter 8, the, 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 the 40 language, the wilderness language, the, Jesus quotes, he's going to quote, man should not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is living out, a, like a new Israel, what Israel was going through in the wilderness, saying, this is how we do it. The temptation to make your own manna bread, your own heavenly bread. The temptation of provision. Watch out for that in the wilderness. You need to take matters into your own hands. Temptation number two, presumption. Presumption. Testing God. Testing God. Trying to backdoor the system. In verse 5, chapter 4, the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, we'll just throw yourself down. <laughs> this is great. This quotes scripture. This is awesome. Quote Psalm 91. He'll command his angels concerning you. On your hands, they'll bury you. So your foot doesn't even get struck on a rock. Come on, Jesus. He takes them to the top of the temple. And the temple is the highest part of Mount Zion, which is the highest mountain in the area. Highest places. Just throw yourself down. Just jump down. God will get you. Tempt fates. Throw your life away. God loves you. He'll forgive you. The temptation to presume that sin doesn't have consequences. The temptation to presume that choices don't have certain results. That you can not follow commands and it turn out okay. That you can make your own way and it will turn out okay. Testing God. God has you in a place to test you, to make inform you, but you presume upon God and you put him to the test. Nah. Those are archaic commandments anyways. We're more free and liberated now as a human people. Oh yeah. You seen the news? We've really come a long ways. We presume. And the third temptation Good old idolatry. Good old idolatry. Again, the devil, this is verse 8. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these I give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Worshiping the wrong thing, bowing to the wrong thing. The wilderness is worship battleground. It's worship battleground. It reveals those things that we worship. Parents, you go through the wilderness and you teach your kids what to worship in the process. Let me say that again. Parents, you will go through the wilderness. In the process, you will teach your kids what to worship. 
If you don't believe me, do you do things the way your mom did them? Do you respond to stress the way your dad would respond to stress? Think back. When my mom or my dad would go through a season of trial and difficulty, how would they respond? What God would they turn to? What idol would they fall before? Would they drink it away, eat it away, yell it away, beat it away, scream it away, sex it away? And in that process, imprinting upon you how to respond to the stress, the strain, and the heat of life. So in life's darkest moments, I swore I wouldn't become like my dad. I swore I wouldn't become like my mom. Well, that's because they taught you how to worship. They just didn't know they were doing it. Parents, you need, you need to stop it. You need to learn to recognize when you are in a wilderness season and evil is drawing close that it has become a worship battleground. When things have gotten heated and hot, him alone will I worship, him alone will I praise. I'm not gonna medicate with food and drink and sex. I'm not gonna yell and scream. I'm gonna practice gentleness and kindness, love and grace. And when I make mistakes, I'll be honest with my kids. That was wrong. Dad shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Because we go through the wilderness and we teach them what to worship. When Jesus was tempted, how did he respond? What did he bring to the table? Promises and commands. Promises and commands. Temptation number one, turn it to bread. He brought a promise. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. We live on God's word. That's what gives us life. That's a promise. Temptation two, temptation three, he brought commandments from Deuteronomy chapter six. No, we're not going to do that. We are going to worship God. That's the response. He didn't have to Google it. He'd already gobbled it up. He'd memorized Deuteronomy. He had it inside. He didn't have to go looking for the right verse. Oh man, I'm facing temptation. I need myself a good verse right now. 25 verses when you're sad. 25 verses when you're facing temptation. Oh man, hot chick just walked in front of me at the gym. I need a good verse right now. Too late. Too late. Ain't going to happen, buddy. Ain't going to happen. Need to have it internalized already. Need to know it already. So that when, whether it's provision or it's presumption or idolatry, peers its heads in the middle of the wilderness, you've been disciplined in spirit to have God's word deep inside of your soul. Why? Because the spirit will lead you and leave you for testing and shaping. He will pull back. You're like, well, that's kind of jerk move. How'd you teach your kid to ride a bike? How'd you teach your kid to ride a bike? Didn't you let go? It's the only way they learned. Are you there? Yep. The result, the revelation, 
the heart of Jesus, we can see now in Jesus, this is the new Israel. This is the better king. This is the warrior who goes ahead of me. He's the one who faces the giants. He's the one who defeats evil. He's the one that will maneuver and get me through if I keep my, my eyes fixed upon him, the author and the perfecter of my faith. I'm not gonna hang out in this wilderness. I wanna get through it as quickly as possible. So God, show me my heart and let's work on it. Let's get this done. So that what happens? Verse 11, the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering him. Why? His father takes care of his son. The father takes care of his son. Moses warned of the dangers of the promised land in chapter eight of Deuteronomy. The promised land comes with dangers. It's like teaching Lucas to drive. We've done that. You taught kids to drive. Increased kingdom, increased freedom means what? Increased dangers. Lucas, it's a big machine. It goes fast, real fast. Bad things can happen quickly. Lucas, there's dangers. And my son, who's a good driver, okay, good driver, but he's starting to get comfortable behind the wheel. And that should scare every parent, right? That should scare every parent. And so you have to remind him that a holy level of fear is appropriate. And Moses would come back and say, you're going to go into the promised land and you're going to have wonderful houses and great gardens and the pantry's going to be full. And take care that you do not forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Remember when the pandemic started two years ago, almost to the day? You remember what things were like those first couple months? We closed the doors. We were streaming online. You guys didn't see each other for two months. And you ached and you hurt. And you emailed me and you texted me and you ignored me. It's fine. I had to make a decision and it wasn't your decision to make. God asked me to make the decision. But you remember the Sunday when we came back? Dude, y'all were nuts in the parking lot, man. Y'all hugging each other and breaking every CDC law and the whole bucks. Man, you're just going nuts. I miss you so much. I miss you so much. It's so good to see you. Oh, we'd entered into the promised land. And there was a renewal of spiritual hunger and longing. And oh, it's so good to be in church again. And a month later, we were right back to the old habits and the old ways. And the old sins. It only took a month. This is a Hansel and Gretel America. Stay on the path. Don't get off the path. Oh, but look at the gingerbread house. It's got frosting on the doors. And look at the good things to eat. And we are completely, completely in sugar coma because of the culture that we live in. We don't understand. We are the 1%. We are the 2%. If you don't doubt me, look at how pathetic the American church is. A beautiful thing is going to rise out of the Ukraine. You know what it's going to be? The Ukrainian church. That's just the way wars work. 
That's just the way trials work. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You will see Ukraine become an epicenter of faith and mission and spirituality because that's what happens. Satan learned a new trick. Just give the human what he wants. And his spirituality will tank. So Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 26, the night before his crucifixion, as again, evil showed up to tempt what God was testing. He said to the disciples, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch me. The, the, the spirit is willing. Oh, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. I think those are good words. So we enter this season, this Lent, learning about wilderness. Next week, we're going to learn about heart. We're going to drill down deep on heart. Watch and pray. Don't be distracted. Use your phone this week for making phone calls. That's it. I, I challenge you. Create some space this week where you can just be watchful and praying and, and open your heart up. Let, just give yourself a new mantra just for this week. Texting is for cowards. And instead, use your phone to call a brother and sister, to call your mom, to call your dad. Not to text, mom, I love you. Call her, mom, I love you. Stay off social media. Stay off the games and create wilderness space with enough courage to say to God, test my heart. I need to know what's in there. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.